So, Dale, I don't know how much you know about therapy, but it usually starts by you telling me a little something about yourself. I thought there'd be couches and Kleenex and shit. Look at me, son. It's not your fault. Do you want to talk about some of those feelings? I love you. Obviously, you don't know me. So how's this supposed to work? You sit, I sit, we talk. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam. And I'm Dr. Fran. Welcome to Freudian Script, the podcast where we put your favorite TV shows and movies on the hypothetical couch and take a deeper dive into the way psychology is portrayed. We analyze the way therapy looks in entertainment, discuss the way psychological diagnoses are portrayed, and break down other psychological themes seen on our screens. As a reminder, Freudian Scripts is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your mental health professional with any questions and seek care if needed. The content and clips in today's episode will contain explicit language and mature and adult themes. Welcome to this week's Real Rounds mini session. As a reminder, for these mini sessions, we will round on a specific topic, discussing clips and sharing information similar to medical rounds done by healthcare professionals. And for today, we'll be focusing on how psychology interfaces with the corporate world through the lens of two popular TV shows, Suits and Billions. And we're excited to put these both of these shows on the couch. We've gotten a ton of requests to cover billions. And as Dr. Sam mentioned, this is like a mini session. We will not be doing a deep dive on like both of these shows, I think, have like numerous seasons. I think Suits has nine and Billions has six or it's a lot of content. So we will not be doing a deep dive on either of these shows, but we'll be really honing in on a few clips to really represent what it looks like when psychology is like Dr. Sam said, interfacing with like this corporate world or um, the world in which both of these shows take place. And you can stream both of these. So Suits, I think, is having a resurgence of a kind. And I think that's because it's been moved over to Netflix. So you can watch Mm -hmm. Suits there. And then Billions is available via Amazon Prime um, or Showtime, I think, as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And so for both of these very popular, very interesting shows, maybe we'll cover future clips as well. But for today, there's no way we could go so in-depth, as Dr. Fran mentioned. But we're excited to kind of hopefully discuss some clips that are really interesting and some scenes and talk a little bit about what psychology looks like in the corporate world. And we'll talk a little bit about a different type of psychology today that we actually haven't covered on the podcast. It's called Industrial Organizational Psychology, or IO Psychology for short. Um, And again, we won't do a super deep dive on this. I hope we get a chance to maybe do a longer full session at some point where we do more discussion of IO psychology, but we wanted to briefly touch on it because it is a very important um, like aspect of psychology when talking about how like the uh, the corporate or the like vocational world interfaces with this with our field. Um, so when we think about industrial organizational psychology, it's really the scientific study of human behavior within an organization or within the workplace. So really thinking about um, like how teams function together, how you know what different dynamics come up, how to resolve conflict. Um, how is performance measured and um, how do we recruit people? And um, so all the kind of different inner workings of like, how do we make a workplace function well is a little bit of what industrial organizational psychology covers. 
And I agree with Dr. Fran. Hopefully you'll be able to cover IO psychology more in depth in the future. Um, but like other types of psychology that we've talked about, including um, our recent other mini session on school psychology, there is a different kind of course of graduate studies and training for people who go on to become IO psychologists. And this can look, uh, just as Dr. Fran was mentioning, this can look different ways depending on the role of the IO psychologist in the organization. Um, sometimes they're doing a lot of different things. Sometimes they're more honing or focused on a particular kind of area of content or helping the organization with specific things as well. Yeah. And I, um, I think the IO psychology piece is really interesting because like Dr. Sam mentioned, you do have to get additional like specialized training in this similar to other specializations. Like we've talked about sports psychology or school psychology. Um, I think IO psych is interesting and maybe other people who have this um, maybe in their programs more, but it's not something that's typically covered as part of your normal like clinical psychology um, classes. And so like, I remember when I was studying for my licensure exam, like this was the (laughs) section on the exam that I was like, I did not learn this. And I had to like study extra hard on this section of psychology because it wasn't like clinical or, you know, biological bases of behavior or cognitive, like the ones that all, all, um, like to be accredited program, you have to cover. IO is not one of the sections that like you have to cover as part of accreditation. So not all um, programs cover it. So that was, I remember, I remember having to relearn all of that during my licensure uh, studying process. I had a similar experience. So, you know, as we talked about in the past, psychologists have to take a licensure exam and that's what Dr. Fran's alluding to. And there's a whole chunk on uh, IO psychology, which a lot of us do not learn or study. And at least on that kind of examination, a lot of it had to do with um, creating metrics for like recruitment or um uh, evaluating like performance in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So not something that we typically studied and it was definitely yeah. tricky. <laughs> the aspects that we're going to talk about today are not so much about like creating uh, questionnaires and measurements for success. They're kind of more on the interpersonal level, which industrial psychologists can also help out with. Um, And as we talk, we're going to kind of see that similar to a lot of different types of psychology, it's not always portrayed very accurately or at all in the media. So some Mm -hmm. of the clips that we have today, it's kind of a little bit different, the ways that the psychologists are interacting with the characters. And so as we review the clips, we'll go into a little bit more detail about what that actually looks like and kind of maybe what role they're playing. Yeah. And I, I think an important distinction there is we have like the IO psychologist, but we also have maybe like a licensed mental health provider who is mm-hmm. maybe not an IO specialization. Like maybe they have similar training to Dr. Samurai, but they are contracted or on-site mental health providers. And that's an important distinction that will go in a little bit here because it's going to come into play when we talk about some of the clips later. So this might be someone again, that um, is like a clinical psychologist or another mental health professional who is either like hired and is like on site works in like for one specific organization, or sometimes they have um, maybe even like an organization or like a group of mental health professionals that an organization will like contract out for mental health services. So a lot of companies will have, for example, like an employee assistance program or an EAP. They're not necessarily, they're not necessarily IO psychologists there. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I keep wanting to say like regular psychologists, but they're psychologists who have not specialized in IO. Um, and they are just contracted out to provide mental health services for that specific organization. A lot of the big, like big organizations and big tech companies will contract out so that their employees have access to those services as one of the benefits. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good distinction though, right? It's like the IO psychologist may be more likely to be embedded or consulting kind of more about the interpersonal style or techniques or strategies that maybe executives or other management are using, helping to recruit versus if a company is having contracted clinical psychologists that are there to provide like treatment or support around more uh, mental health related topics, right? So I feel like that's kind of that difference there. Mm -hmm. Um, And it can be kind of like tricky when we're watching the movies and TV shows to kind of differentiate. um, Is this someone who is a mental health provider, like a clinical psychologist versus like an IO psychologist? So as we watch these clips and kind of just think about these two differences, there are some questions that Dr. Fran and I kind of were like posing or thinking about and things that could be considered um, when you're thinking about these various roles of psychologists. Yeah. And I think for me, the biggest one is who is the identified client? So is the client the organization? In that case, it would be more of like an IO psychologist because they're they're really their duty or their job is to help the organization function well. And it's less about individual people. There obviously may be like interventions that are done to address like individual situations, but really it's like the whole system that is the client versus like an employee assistance program or like a contracted mental health professional is the same as any other clinical psych- clinical psychologist or other mental health provider we've talked about where their client is the individual person that they're working with. And that's going to have really big implications for the confidentiality piece. So yes, with an IO, like kind of system level, there may be less uh, limits or there may be more, there may be more uh, discussed um, and less kept private or confidential than if there's that one-on-one clinical psychologist relationship where they're abiding by the same like HIPAA and psychological like confidentiality principles. And often these would be discussed up front. So similar to what we've discussed, like with forensic psychology, for example, if someone was seeing a psychologist as part of a court evaluation or something of that nature, Mm -hmm. they would share that the data would be, you know, shared or discussed in a court setting or related, you know, to the court proceedings. So with something like IO psychology, it would be a similar situation, whereas like, let's say they're evaluating performance or they're evaluating some other kind of metric uh, related to the company's goals. They would also discuss like, this is what is going to be done. This is where it's going to be shared um, and kind of hopefully um, be upfront about, and I only say that because we know in uh, TV shows and movies, that's not often the case, but typically, you know, be upfront about what is being shared with who. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I I think kind of relatedly, like how dual relationships are handled. And when we say dual relationships, that's when you have a relationship as the provider with multiple people in multiple different settings um, and situations. So I might be the psychologist, but I'm also a coworker, right? That's like a dual relationship. Um, It could also be, I'm the psychologist for this person and I'm also the psychologist for their boss. That's a dual relationship. Um, And again, with the IO, or more of the, um, yeah, on the, like that side of things, there's going to be more dual relationships and how that's handled is a little bit different than um, maybe in an employee assistance program where they contract for like the entire company and they are unlikely to see multiple people from the exact same like division or office, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we're kind of just starting to scratch the surface of IO psychology. So let's go ahead and take a look and listen rather from these two clips from the popular show so that we can see how IO therapy or sorry, IO psychology is portrayed. So for our first clip, we are going to be showing a scene from Suits. And so for, you know, as a quick kind of background about Suits, there is a main character whose name is Harvey. Um, He is a lawyer uh, and he has been seeing a therapist because he's having trouble opening up. 
And he asks her at one point while, you know, throughout the course of therapy, he asks her to also kind of like share and disclose to help him kind of build that comfort in the relationship and ask her about the worst mistake that she's ever made as a therapist. So she does choose to share a situation in which she felt pressured to release a client from rehab. And unfortunately, later, this client did die related to a drug overdose. So kind of throughout the course of this uh, episode, Harvey finds out that she is also the therapist of one of his clients and will be testifying for the prosecution to implicate his client in some illegal trades. So kind of very confusing, but basically... Harvey has a therapist who, you know, he's kind of been working on his own like emotional comfort and kind of sharing his emotions and things of that nature. And he finds out that one of his legal clients also sees her as a therapist. And now she will be basically testifying against his client um, and her patient. So let's listen to how that goes when Harvey finds out. What are you doing here? You're coming to my offices tomorrow to testify against my client you didn't tell me? I didn't tell you because this is the first I'm hearing about it. Bullshit. I saw it. You got subpoenaed to testify against Sam Tull. And until you just burst in here, I had no idea he was your client. Well, it doesn't matter because you're not showing up. And you're going to stop them from arresting me, are you? Because that's what will happen if I don't. Then get yourself someone like me and get out of it. For your information, I have been to three different men like you because I care about Sam. And you know better than I do that once he signed that release, I have no choice. Well, I have a way to get you out of it, and you're going to do it. They ask you something that's going to send him to jail, you lie. I can't do that. You can, and you will, and they'll never know. I'll know. And even if I didn't, I have notes. And if they found those, I'd be going to jail. Then destroy them, because he's innocent, and he trusted you with everything. And if that doesn't mean something to you, then why the hell should anyone ever trust you with anything? <laughs> Harvey, this isn't about us. No one can ever make me do that to you. I'm sure Sam Tull thought the same thing. All right. Well, the therapy's working in a sense because he (laughs) definitely was expressing his more unpleasant emotions there. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like this is just like a snapshot into their relationship in general of like, and we could get into a whole other conversation about like working with different types of clients. And I feel like you're probably more likely to see clients like this in maybe a corporate setting per quote unquote, where they're just like asking for what they want and they're just like, no, (laughs) no apologies. Um, But I think this is, there's so many pieces that come up in this. And I think a big one is she alludes to once Sam, her client signed the release, there was nothing she could do about it. And this will come up a little bit in the next part of the clip that we cover, but essentially she's a like contracted health provider through his work and she signed, he signed a release that he she is allowed to share some information with his employer. And so that's very different than like a typical therapeutic relationship where there is like what she's essentially saying to Harvey is like this same thing can't happen to you because you have not signed a release of information saying I can disclose information about you to somebody else. So Harvey's coming in here pretty upset that she is going to testify against his client information that he disclosed to her in confidence during their sessions. And you can kind of hear her picking up on like, this isn't just about mm-hmm. the client. It's also about you. And now like you're scared that the stuff that you talk about is going to be you know, shared with other people, which is totally val- a valid fear he has yes. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a vulnerability here, right? Where he like maybe was working really hard to feel like he could trust her and open up. And now that's all being threatened. And so he maybe feels like it was a mistake to have shared with her, um, you know, and like he says, he thinks like Sam, the client probably felt the same way that she wouldn't mm-hmm. have shared information. And, you know, there are situations if we, as we've talked about in past sessions, where psychologists could be right, like asked by the court or rather like, you know, um, uh, commanded by the court to testify or share certain information, which is kind of what's happening here. And then you add in the wrinkle of 
um, the client having agreed for her to share certain information with the company as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I agree. I feel like I understand where Harvey is coming from. You know, maybe he didn't handle it in the best way because not only is he upset that it's like jeopardizing his client's case, which if you watch Suits, you know, Harvey also as a lawyer does not like to lose. Yeah. So there's like that element and then feeling like his own vulnerability and kind of like the trust he put in her was like misplaced. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so then the, that does not end here. She does not decide to like perjure herself. She doesn't get out of it. She does have to like go and have a conversation. Um, so we'll play the next part of the clip where they're actually in the de- deposition um, between Harvey and then the opposing counsel and um, kind of see what she ends up disclosing. Dr. Agard, when did Sam Tall start seeing you as a patient? Approximately six months ago. And why did he start seeing you? He said his job involved taking risks and it was causing him stress. So he wanted to stop taking risks? No, he wanted to continue. Oh, I get it. He wanted to continue with the risks. He just wanted to feel better about it. Yes. And were you able to help him feel better about taking these risks? Um, uh, we made progress. Yes or no? Yes. And after you helped him feel good about taking risks, did he reveal that he then lost $50 million on one trade? Dr. Agard, you were under oath. And if you will not answer, I will have a judge compel you to answer. Yes. And how did he say he felt about losing $50 million on one trade? He said he felt guilty about it. So he came to you to continue taking risks until he finally lost $50 million and then admitted to being guilty. That is not what she said. I'm sorry. He just felt guilty. You want to drop this now? Or do you want us to hand this tape over to the SEC? Dr. Agar, did you want to give the testimony you just gave? Of course not. And why is that? Because I care about my clients. Is it possible that you didn't want to give it because it's not true? No, it's not possible. You couldn't possibly have been pressured to give false testimony against your wishes. No, I couldn't have. Have you ever been pressured to do something you didn't want to do by a client before? Let me rephrase. Isn't it true that you released a client that you cared about from rehab for no reason other than you felt pressure from a different client who was actually paying the bills? Dr. Agard, you are under oath, and if you will not answer, I will have a judge compel you to answer. Yes. And did this person die of an overdose less than 24 hours later? Yes. So, if you let yourself be pressured when someone's life is at risk, what's to make us think you're not doing the exact same thing right now? Full disclosure, I have never been in a situation like Dr. Agard where I have been asked, you know, to like testify against um, about a patient that I've been seeing, you know, thank goodness. Um, And there are definitely like steps that you would take in terms of like consulting with lawyers and all that if that were to happen. Um, I'm a little bit unclear about if she would be able to disclose um, without proper, you know, kind of like. Uh, like procedures about some of the things that they were asking her, like about other patients and things of that nature, where she was like, I would make a judge compel you. Like, I don't know if maybe, again, I'm unsure, but I don't know if maybe the correct course there would have been like, okay, well, I'll wait until a judge does ask me to, you know, because she's now just discussing other patients. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. It's, it's a whole setup and, I would, I feel like this is one of those shows where I'm like, I would love to watch this with lawyers as well, because I feel like the amount that they like extend what is possible and what is in reality is a little bit uh, far fetched. Mm -hmm. There's definitely uh, a lot of uh, inaccurate portrayals of psychology in this show. And I'll I'll come back to some of them that we won't cover uh, in detail today. But 
Um, I do. What's important here, and like Dr. Sam had given in the overview, is also that like Harvey takes information that she has shared with him in confidence. I mean, technically, like the yes. client-patient relationship or the clinician-client relationship only goes one way. It's not like things mm-hmm. that we share is is confidential and that can't be shared outside. But he essentially uses it to discredit her testimony and say that uh, you know what she's saying is irrelevant and could be fabricated and that she could have been pressured into giving it. Um, mm-hmm. But he is still her his therapist. So he has now like created this like huge rupture in the relationship by like, Mm -hmm. clearly she's very upset by the fact that he's used this information to discredit her and embarrass her in front of people. Yes. This is where like Harvey as a lawyer who refuses to lose, right. Kind of comes up. And he, I think he feels like the relationship is already ruptured. Like I feel like for him, there is no going back. And so he is using this information to kind of get ahead in the situation. I do think like, I kind of question also how much she chose to disclose to him. Like sometimes, you know, as therapist or, you know, psychologist, like we will share information like to normalize things or to show like, oh yeah, other people have somewhat similar experiences, but this level of detail about another patient, you know, it maybe was not the best idea to disclose that amount because, you know, um, I mean, even if this hadn't been the course that (laughs) this situation took, like ending up in a court disposition, like still probably a little too, like in my personal opinion, like maybe too much was shared. Yeah. She basically, she took a big risk in sharing this with, cause essentially he's like not opening up and he's like, how am I supposed yeah. to open up if you're not sharing anything? He's like, what's the worst mistake you've ever made? And so mm. she tells him and then mm. the risk does not pay off because he uses it against her against her. Um, mm-hmm. and he's able to use it against her because he has that information. So I do, I agree. It was probably a over, over share on her part. And hopefully they would have, she would have been able to find other ways to get him to be comfortable and open up without sharing. Like, her worst mistake she ever made and something that involves client information from a previous person she worked with. All right. And then speaking of rupture, we're going to listen to one last clip about how this uh, plays out between Harvey and Dr. Agard. You arrogant piece of shit. Watch yourself. This is my office. I don't care what it is. How dare you betray me like that? I tried to warn you. You didn't warn me. You asked me to lie for you and I told you I wouldn't. I asked you to lie for Sam Tull. This isn't about Sam Tull and you know it. What the hell are you talking about? I opened up to you so that we could build trust, not so that you could humiliate me. I humiliated you to help a man you say you care about. And our fighting about your mother had nothing to do with that. Excuse me? You walked out of our session because you didn't want to talk about your mother. And the second you had the chance to permanently damage our relationship, you took it. You're insane. And you're a self serving narcissist who will do or say anything to get what he wants. I did what I did in there to protect my client. And I don't give a shit if it hurt your feelings or not because you betrayed him just as much as I'm betraying you. And you may be the one who's crying about it, but he's the one who's been accused of committing a crime. If you're lucky, someday you're going to realize what's really going on here. And when that day comes, I hope you find someone to help you because it isn't going to be me. Yeah, you you thought they were going to, uh, you know, mend the relationship after no. that, right? <laughs> um, I agree with Dr. Agard here in some senses. Like, it's definitely, there's more going on with Harvey. He doesn't really want to acknowledge. They had already been having difficulties in the therapeutic relationship where he wasn't wanting to share. There were topics he wasn't ready to discuss, right? And it seems like she was kind of pushing him. And you can see, and I think we've talked about this in previous sessions as well, sometimes when people are having certain difficulties, they might push people away, including Mm -hmm. psychologists, right? Like I'm going to push you away and hopefully you'll stick. And then I don't really have to go there. I don't have to talk about that. And then it seems like this situation came up and he is using kind of like what's happening with his client as a reason to 
really end the relationship with Dr. Agard. I do think he also wants to just win and wants to like, you know, didn't care to kind of do it at her expense and at the expense of the therapy they've been doing together. Um, But I feel like she had a pretty, you know, accurate read on him. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe using a harsher language than we would recommend for a therapist, even if you're planning to end the relationship with your client, not calling them um, outright inappropriate names. No, true. Very, I feel like just inappropriate and unethical, not professional at all. Like to Mm -hmm. just come in and calling him like she's like swearing at him and then calling him like a narcissist and kind of like diagnosing him in a sense, right? Like, I don't know if that's something they ever discussed before um, in their therapy that, you know, so, but still like very handled in a very inappropriate way. Even if the therapeutic relationship was coming to an end, it, you know, that was not the professional or appropriate way to do so. It was a very heated exchange. Yeah. And speaking of unethical, I'll just give a little spoiler alert because you're like, oh, wow, he doesn't sleep with his therapist. How nice. Well, spoiler alert, two, three seasons later, he like randomly reconnects with her and they start dating and he shows up and he's like, she's like, I can't do this. You know, you were my client. He was like, no, I checked the um, American Psychological Association ethics code. And like, we've just passed the limit of how long it has been since, and now we're allowed to date. And she's like, oh, okay, Harvey. And so they date for like a season and it doesn't go, I mean, they don't end up together in the long run, but <laughs> I just like, like, no, of course. It just gets further inappropriate. So yes. it goes from them like despising each other, cussing, yelling, trying to get each other to perjure and or yeah. discredit it in court to sleeping together. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's funny watching this clip and then being like, how does she, he come to her later and she's like, forgive, they never talk about this again. This does not come up. Um, so it's interesting how they go from this to then, uh, having a romantic relationship. Hmm. Okay. Um, so what we're seeing in this clip though, kind of, as it relates to IO psychology, you know, Dr. Agard is not an IO psychologist. She was not hired, um, at least in the context of Harvey, right? Like she wasn't hired by Harvey's law firm, Mm -hmm. even the client Sam's company, she wasn't hired, but more like she was one of those contracted mental health providers that was providing therapy, um, Mm -hmm. to the client. Um, so again, this is a little bit different. It's one of those situations that we talked about earlier, but Dr. Agard in this sense seems to be a clinical psychologist who's providing like mental health support to those in the corporate setting and kind of showing some of those uh, difficulties with disclosure, confidence, and just kind of dual relationships that can uh, possibly arise. Yeah, this is a very convoluted example of all yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a very extreme example, potentially. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it is time to transition into our other show. All right. So the next show we'll be putting on the couch is Billions. Um, So for those who haven't watched this show, um, it is, you know, a a similar vibe to Suits in terms of just like kind of like high powered corporate world, but more on the (laughs) finance side of things. So specifically, we'll be talking today about Dr. Wendy Rhodes, who is a psychiatrist who's been hired by the CEO of the hedge fund that the show um, really centers around, Bobby Axelrod is his name. And she works for the companies on as their on-site performance coach. But in addition to like assisting employees with their work performance, she also consults directly with Bobby. Um, she actually owns shares in this company and like regularly attends and goes to meetings with stakeholders, like potential investors outside of the company. So she has this like pretty unique role that we don't really see 
portrayed very often or even like mm-hmm. see it happens in the real world, but uh, is maybe less known about or like less um, public. So the clip that we'll be showing is actually in the very first episode of the very first season. So Wendy mm-hmm. Rhodes is like in almost every single episode of this show. Like she's probably one of the most like visible mental health providers of like any TV <laughs> show. Cause she's in almost every episode. Um, but this is the kind of your introduction into what she does as a like performance coach. And this is why it was recommended so many times because I feel like Dr. Rhodes is such a big part of the show. Definitely. So let's listen to that first performance coaching session. I just lost my mojo somewhere along the line. It's fucking gone. And you're Mrs. Mojo. So I booked the appointment. It's Dr. Mojo. Right. I hear it happens to guys my age. Maybe I'm depressed. Maybe I should try some Prozac effects or... Uh-huh, we'll get to that. Now, have you been eating, sleeping, exercising? Yeah, more or less. Maybe not so much with the sleeping. And things with your wife? Okay, mostly. Sex? Normal. I've been married 10 years, so... So down to just once a day. So, that's really just the book. I'm down 4%. Year to date. Everyone else is up double digits. I'm down. I'm fucked. You don't need meds. You're just listening to the wrong voice. You're tuned into the one yelling at you over the loudspeaker that you're fucking stupid... And your performance blows. And you're ignoring the quiet one inside telling you where the alpha is. Now that's the voice that got you here. And it's still there if you're willing to listen. What's that voice telling you? That even though I've stiffed a few, that I'm pretty damn good. Uh Uh-uh. Stand up. Stand up. What'd you take down last year? 7.2 million. 7.2 million. 7.2 million. Feel that. 7.2 million. Bring it close. 7.2 million. So what's it saying? That I'm awesome. There you go. And what does it have to say back to that loud, critical voice? It's saying, fuck you. Good. Sit down. Now, I want you to go back to your Bloomberg and cut bait on your losers. You know the ones, the ones you've been defending, hoping they'll come round, but secretly you know never will. I want you to just commit that you're in it for the long haul, that you will succeed. And once you do that, the new ideas, the winners, will present themselves because you are a winner. You're in the special forces here. You are a Navy SEAL. And there's a reason for that. Did the SEALs make a mistake signing you up? No, they did not. The SEALs don't make mistakes. So get out there and do what needs to be done. So I think similar. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like kind of what I was alluding to with um, the Suits clip earlier of like the way the dynamic or like talking to clients is very different in these settings um, because she's really like adapting to kind of like how – Yes. The language or like the way that she's talking is something that he can like understand and agree with and like relate to as opposed to how I might talk to like, you know, an adolescent who's struggling with depression is going to be like a very different style (laughs) of interaction than this clip that we just heard. 
Very true. I feel like, you know, like you mentioned, Dr. Rhodes, her role is very unique. And I think that there's like an aspect of it that is in line with what we call executive coaching. And some psychologists do um, do executive coaching. Um, I saw a statistic that is several years old, but it said that worldwide companies spend about a billion dollars each year on executive coaches. And these are people that they really bring in to work on -on one-on-one with like managers, executives to help them do better and perform better at their jobs. And I think Mm -hmm. that's exactly what we're seeing in this clip, right? She's trying to help give him like rebuild his confidence. What I don't know, uh, this is outside my realm of expertise, uh, is that she also gives him pretty direct um, kind of tips for like how to do his job, like go and like cut these stocks from your book and go and do this and that, right? Um, Not stocks. I know he manages uh, hedge funds, but you know, cut these funds or whatever. So just kind of interesting. Like, I don't know if executive coaches also give like that specific of career uh, advice and tips, Um, but definitely kind of helping to reboost his ego. Um, She really is doing some cognitive reframing here, asking him Mm -hmm. like, what are those negative thoughts and doubts you're having? Let's kind of think about them in an alternative way, uh, just in a more, um, assertive manner, I guess we could say, like yeah. with the thoughts. Um, so I see some of the strategies as being useful. Um, I also imagine, and this is cynical and also just based purely on this like fictional character, um, but I also imagine that these people are paying her very well. And I could see why if she just constantly boosts their ego, um, of course, they're <laughs> going to keep her around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's like a super interesting point of like, what, like, what happens if it's a situation where maybe it boosting the person's performance is not in their best interest for like, let's mm. say he's saying like, maybe sleep and all that stuff wasn't great. And he's like, oh, I'm performing so well, because I'm like not sleeping. And I'm like staying up really late doing all this stuff. Yeah. Or like, it's, I've, you know, now my relationship is ending because we're fighting all the time because I'm right. Like those things impact performance. But yes. I think that's where the like, who is the client to her and is it the company? Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's like, Oh, actually you should fire this guy I just met with because he's not doing well. Yeah, or true. is it the one on the, that individual and she cares about them and their functioning regardless of the impact it has on the company. My guess is that because she's so invested in the company and that's who that's has hired right. her, she cares more about like the overall well being of that company, regardless of the individual um, people potentially. Yeah. And it seems like this guy was a high earner the previous year. So Mm -hmm. it's probably like, let's see if we can get him back there. And if not, maybe we cut him, right? Like he's not performing for the company. I could definitely see that as well. Um, The other thing that's a bit unclear is whether she's functioning as like a licensed psychiatrist. Um, Like, is she, and she's a psychiatrist, what I think is maybe a little unique. I think psychologists are probably more likely to be in an executive coaching role than a psychiatrist. Um, but is she using like her license? Is there like limits of confidentiality? Oh, yeah. Like, is she abiding by like the APA code when she's performing in this role? Because if someone is just acting as an executive or performance coach and not using their license, the rules are going to be slightly different. And they different. don't have mm-hmm. that I'm aware of like an accrediting body or like a licensure body that they have to like abide and follow in the same ways that like a licensed provider would have to. True, because he does at the onset ask her about medications. Um, right. And and I would also say, like, her questions about, like, are you eating, sleeping, working out? How's your relationship? Like, he was just like, fine. So, like, I know nothing about how he's eating or sleeping. <laughs> Maybe for him, like, his sleep being fine or his eating being fine is not really um, optimal, right? And so I agree with your point about, like, 
at what kind of what is that balance? And if you are not engaging in those kind of like taking care of yourself behaviors, like, can Mm -hmm. you maintain that? Right. And so I feel like it was very like, okay, we'll get to the meds. I'm going to pretend to ask you about how you're functioning. And now let's like get to kind of giving you this like pep talk and maybe kind of sprinkle in some ways for you to think about things differently and see if that helps. (laughs) Yeah. She's kind of like a hype woman. (laughs) Yeah. And this clip for sure. You know, I know I, um, Billions is a show that I have not watched other than the clips that we prepared and like some reading. So I, you know, I don't know as much about Dr. Rhodes moving forward. Um, I think you're right as well, Dr. Fran, about how psychologists can be pretty likely to serve as executive coaches. And there can be a lot of different executive coaches. So not all are psychologists even. Um, There's kind of like different types and different routes that people take to become executive coaches. Um, But with psychologists, they might be well suited for executive coaching because they are you know, they have that expertise in behavior change and business culture, like especially if it's an IO psychologist. So they're kind of uniquely maybe suited to help out with those aspects. Um, and counseling in a way can help to link that like IO psychology skills with kind of more clinical or general counseling psychology skills um, because they're maybe helping to improve their interpersonal skills or kind of helping with like strategies like this, like we talked about, like with like some of the maybe more negative thoughts that they're having. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think these are both two interesting clips and examples of how kind of psychologists that are interfacing with the corporate world can look. We saw one that was more mental health based and contracted out to provide mental health support and treatment. And now seeing an example more of um, maybe an IO slash executive coaching example where she's embedded in the company Mm -hmm. and really kind of focus on those organizational aspects. Um, I feel like we might put both of these shows on the couch at other points down the road as well, just with like how much is going on. Um, but I thought it was really great to like kind of start off and covering them and dip our toes in the IO corporate world. <laughs> yeah. And ironically enough, I don't think either of these technically portrayed IO psychologists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about that with the framework, um, but kind of also dispelling maybe some misconceptions about like what yeah. the role of a psychologist or a provider is in these settings. But I think these are good starting points. Um, and then maybe we'll come back to these topics in the future. Yeah, for sure. I think it would be good. Maybe we can, um, I know some IO psychologists, maybe we could have a guest in the future and they could probably give us even more scoop into the world of IO psychology. (laughs) Yeah. As you could tell, uh, Dr. Sam and I are not experts on IO psychology. We have to (laughs) relearn this information for our licensure exams. So that would be great to have some experts come on and share some information. Yeah. So stay tuned and thanks for tuning in today to our real round session. Don't forget to send us any clips or thoughts about, you know, either today's clips or clips in the past or things that you want us to put on the couch in the future. We are on, you know, Instagram, Twitter, even TikTok at Freud Scripts Pod on all things. And as always, please subscribe, rate, and review. Time's up. See you next session. We'd like to thank our producer, Brandon. Creative Director Eric at Webmaster Dog. <laughs> fail, fail, <laughs> fail. Yeah, producer Brandon, where were you? Oh, that was us. That was us. <laughs> <laughs>